Hello again, I'm Eleanor, the Literary Associate at the Traverse Theatre. I hope you're enjoying the series so far. In this week's Open Submissions Workshop, I'll be speaking to Eva Edo, Rachel O'Connor, Natalie McGrath, Hugo Timbrell and David Finnegan, the five playwrights that were selected through last year's Open Submissions window. If you don't know by now, every year the Traverse is introduced to new and exciting voices through our Open Submissions initiative. We then collaborate with some of those writers to develop their scripts and to begin an artistic partnership with them. They receive script development, one-on-one -on -one dramaturgy sessions, and the chance to showcase their work to our audiences. Today, I'll be talking to the brilliant writers we found through last year's window about their writing habits, the plays they developed through their attachment to the Traverse, and the writers that influence and inform their work. I hope you enjoy the session and that we'll see you next week for Hannah Lavery's workshop on form. It's a good one, so stay tuned. What's your name and where are you speaking to me from? My name's Eva Edo and I'm speaking from uh, my home in London. I'm Natalie McGrath and I am in the attic in my house in Exeter. Uh, so I'm Hugo Timbrell um, and I'm a writer based in London. Uh, my name's Rachel O'Connor, I'm speaking to you from Edinburgh. Hi, I'm David Finnegan, I'm speaking to you from London. How did you start out as a writer? Uh, so I'm a playwright from Canberra in Australia originally and I began as a kind of independent theatre maker in that Canberra indie theatre community. Canberra is the capital of Australia. It's also uh, quite a small town. It's about 300,000 people and it had a, a pretty small community of independent theatre makers. So I started out as part of this, I guess, generation of people who made work. Um, we didn't really go to see much work. There wasn't a lot of work to see. Uh, there wasn't a lot of touring theatre that came through Canberra. Uh, so the only stuff we saw was what our friends and colleagues had made and the only um, inspiration really we got was from each other. And so that's the kind of community that I emerged out of, um, making plays with my friends, for my friends, and um, in a little kind of weird uh, ecology that um, was very disconnected from the world around it. The only way that any of my scripts ever got produced was if I produced them. So uh, I was producing plays and writing them and, you know, directing and acting and, and doing all the things that you do as a devised maker. It was a good many years of, of doing that before anything, any script of mine kind of made it out of my circles to being produced by people who I didn't know and who I wasn't already kind of working with. I started out in around 2013. I was involved in a community project run by the Royal Court Theatre in Peckham. Um, it was called Peckham Soap Opera and it was a live streamed performance um, of a soap opera in Peckham and I was a performer at the time and uh, the Royal Court immersed everyone in the project and we got to do some writing um, and that kind of struck a chord with me and from that time onwards I said I'm going to write a play which I went off and did over a couple of years. How, i.e. where and when, do you write? I'm really lucky because I run my own business so even though it is all consuming I can timetable things to how I want them to be mostly so there's a cafe around the corner from where I live and on the days that I'm when I've got free time I'll go there take my laptop take my headphones and sometimes it's really quiet sometimes it's really busy but it's all locals and I just sit and I put my headphones on listen to Radiohead and um but the good thing is you can look up, so you can look up and see people around you if you want to, or take the headphones off, and then you can immerse yourself in the writing as well. So it's, it's I love doing that. I currently work part-time at a school. Um, uh, so I work 30 hours a week, 
at the school, um, which affords me sort of 10 hours of writing time a week, if I'm lucky, um, <laughs> and if I'm disciplined. Um, and I try and write in sort of four hour stints. Um, so uh, sort of two hours, a little bit of a break, and another two hours, that seems to be the way I write. I write from home in this room, uh, which is quite nice because I got a. It's got a little balcony and it's quite high up, so I can just see the rooftops. Uh, so it's just a nice, uh, shiny, open, uh, sunny space. Um, I write. Try and write most days. I don't um, actually succeed, but I do try to write something, even if it's five or ten minutes. The truth is, I often write in bursts. Um, in the ideal world, in the development context, the, the dream for me is that you're in rehearsals in the morning or in the, in the evening, and um, so you're in rehearsals for half the day, testing out material and hearing it on the floor and seeing actors uh, try out lines and scenes. And then when that's finished, you go home and you take your notes and you just write and rewrite and rewrite, and then you come back the next day with a new draft and repeat. That's, that's I think, when I'm at my best. Um, that kind of constant dialogue between making and, and writing and then seeing the work tested. Um, but that isn't always possible and it's not possible when I'm writing solo work for myself. Um, it's not possible uh, in the kind of context I'm in where I don't have a, a kind of company that I work with regularly. Um, I'm from Australia, I'm here in the UK now and there just isn't a group that I work with in that way that I would maybe back home. So the last year or two, it's, mu it's been much more pen and paper work. Um, I'll draft with pen and paper um, and then I'll type it up and um, there's a kind of editing process that happens in the typing. So there's sort of two, um, two modes going on there. First of all, pen and paper because I'm a, um, the internet has sort of destroyed my, uh, my focus and my capacity and, and really rewired my brain for the worse. So, I'm much better in, at producing just purely um, pen and paper with headphones in in a cafe. And then editing, I can type up and edit on the, on the page um, on a computer. Uh, that's a very slow process. And editing is certainly my weak spot. Um, I can generate a lot of material very quickly. That's something I don't have a problem with. But writing anything good is uh, very difficult. What has been your most memorable theatre experience as an audience member? I think probably going to see Misty by Rinzi Kenze a couple of years ago at the Bush. Um, it was uh, just really quite overwhelming because the audience really participated. They were whooping, they were cheering, they were standing up, they were shouting amen to that. Um, for me, it was really engaging and to see so many younger audience members engage as well. So that was quite, um, yeah, quite pivotal. I saw a production of uh, No Exit, the Jean-Paul Sartre play, um, when I was 17 at the, at the local theatre. It actually happened that, uh, so myself and a couple of my best friends, uh, we were in year 12 at the time, and we had done a little weekend theatre workshop. Um, and we'd met an older person who was in her early 20s called Barb Barnett, and she was a director, and she was directing a show. And we went along to see this theatre show, um, that was by someone we knew, sort of. And it was the most mind-blowing thing because it was on a stage, it was in a tiny venue, like a, a 40 seat space um, called Gorman House that was, 
you know, absolutely tiny, bare minimum, but it felt like the real thing. And it was by someone that we knew and she'd talked to us about how she was making this play and then we got to see this play and the penny dropped that you could actually just make shows, you could make theatre. Um, so it was amazing, like we loved the play and we went out, straight away we went out and, and sat up all night and, and tried to write our own script um, that we then tried to get put on. But for me that was the, probably the, yeah, like the real turning point. It was, it was realising that there wasn't actually any barrier to, to making your own work. Anyone could do it if you could just find yourself a room and some friends to, to stand up and read a script out loud. Tell me a little bit about the play that you developed through the Traverse Open Submissions. I developed Tiger Mum, which is a, a solo show, one woman show, um, which I initially wrote on Soho Writers Lab. Um, the Traverse kindly picked it up in their open submission. And it's about um, a black mother's uh, journey to ensure that her son uh, survives. The tagline he was or is, he's not sick. He's black. Motherland um, was the player developed through open submissions. I think Motherland is a high concept, um, other world, sort of alternate reality thriller. Um, but I think hopefully, particularly through the development process, the play has turned into a thriller and it definitely leans on the thriller genre. A Black is a play that moves between two worlds. Um, uh, a war zone in the 21st century in a basement where a war photographer, Alex, is um, trying to understand the, the death of uh, her colleague, Fran, whilst also trying to keep um, a medic, Louisa, alive, whilst the, the sky is full of, uh, is being lit up by uh, bombardment. And what happens is uh, probably due to uh, the shock of the situation, the extremis of the situation, the PTSD, Alex keeps move, things jar for her and she moves between that world and back into her home life and Scotland and a series of conversations, the last conversations that she ever had with her mother who was dying and has passed away. So it, it takes that kind of emotional and imaginative leap out of this very dire situation into a, a, a past kind of past moments. Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, or it's Catherine Heigl and James Marsden in 27 Dresses, or it's Drew Barrymore and that other guy in Never Been Kissed. Um, or as actually, as you and I were saying the other day, Eleanor, it's Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams in The Notebook. So it's, it's glossy, colourful trash. It's about two people who meet each other, um, they don't like each other, but there may be a spark between them and uh, they're forced by circumstances um, that are fairly arbitrary to have 44 different kinds of sex over the course of a week. And in doing so, they discover that they may have um, feelings for one another. It's about an elderly couple who are lost and they're lost physically, emotionally, and uh, they've lost their connection to each other. They've gone into um, what they think is the modern art gallery, but actually I'm hoping the audience isn't quite sure where they are. They're just in a big old building. And it's about them trying to reconnect with each other and their lives. Um, I think it's quite funny, but I'm hoping it's also quite 
thought-provoking. What was the development process like? Those two development days kind of transformed the play entirely, I would say. It moved the play to a place that was so beyond just being in my head, me typing at a laptop or at my at a desk or whatever. Um, and I think it just really elevated the play um, by having other people's um, opinions and views about it. Um, uh, it basically, it felt like you weren't a solo writer. It felt like you had a whole team behind you that were interested and invested in the play. Um, and that's a huge amount of support. The actors, the director, um, dramaturg all had lots of uh, questions, um, some of which were questions that I could answer, a lot of which were questions that I couldn't answer. And they were also, they were probably the most useful. Um, so I learned a lot about where I, where there were gaps in the play, gaps in, um, in what I knew about the play, what I knew about the characters. And also um, I learned a lot about how people understood and read the material. Um, and I kind of went in there with my assumption about like, this is what the play is and this is how people will read it. And this is where the problems are. And of course I was completely wrong on all fronts. And uh, I walked away with a huge list of notes of, of things that I needed to fix and things I needed to reflect on further and, and possible areas that I could um, research or just experiment more with. Um, so it was a really lovely two days and uh, the, the whole crew that were part of it were just really switched on and sophisticated. Everyone was so, script literate um the the speed at which we went from first reading to really detailed in-depth conversations about characters and themes was just incredible so it was quite a special two days i was really yeah i was i was quite exhilarated leaving edinburgh afterwards what was the most valuable part of the process for you the most valuable part for me of the development process with traverse was i definitely would say the two days um, looking at the script. For me personally, notes aren't an easy thing for me to <laughs> be given, but that uh, experience really taught me that they need to be given, they're necessary, and what to take from it. Um, yeah, it worked really well for me, and it allowed me to redraft um, and improve, improve the play. I actually think the sort of validation for me was the most important. So it was receiving the first email saying your play's been selected um, because I think up to that point, I wasn't, you know, you're sort of writing in a vacuum. Mm. You don't know if what you're doing is any good or anyone's ever gonna want to read it. I mean, it was all, it's all been of amazing value, but for me, that was the most important, I think. I think it, it's always such a gift for, writers and to never underestimate the gift of being in a room with actors, a director and a dramaturg who are paying very close attention to what you've put on the page. And in a way that, you know, I think actually the most valuable part was having the holding space from the Traverse Theatre and knowing that there was a very understood developmental process that began with the dramaturgical support with with you and then moved into those development days and then moved through to further 
dramaturgical conversations and then into being amidst an audience and hearing some of the work and that knowing as a writer that you have a scaffold to support the development of that play probably is the most important and in, invaluable part of the overall process. How did it feel to share your work with an audience? I think that gives you a sense of confidence in your work, in yourself as a writer and in that piece. Um, but at the end of the day, it was incredibly nerve wracking as well. So <laughs> It was wonderful to hear the audience laugh at the right places and be silent in the right places. And it was a very positive experience. Sharing uh, the extract from Tiger Mum at first stages was <laughs> nerve wracking hugely enjoyable and rewarding. I, effectively, the only thing that matters is seeing whether the play works on the floor in the rehearsal room and in front of an audience. There's only, that's the only context in which the play lives or dies, really. So everything that you do as a playwright is in anticipation of that test. Um, and all of the other writing that you do on the page is, is really just you trying to anticipate what will happen when you put it in front of an audience. Pulled it apart put it back together, we staged it, and it was really well received by the audience, uh, which um, is always a good thing. As a playwright, I feel like the, the play script is not, is not the art. The, the play script is like a, a blueprint or, um, or a map. Um, and you give that blueprint to a group of, of artists, so like a director and designer and actors, and then they create the art from that blueprint. Um, but the blueprint is not what the audience sees. Like, it's not like a book where, like if you're a novelist, you're effectively kind of writing a letter to a reader and you as the novelist are almost in direct communication with the reader, um, you know, mediated by an editor perhaps. But with a play, the audience never see your script and they never should see your script if things are going right. So the only thing your script needs to do is provoke that group of artists to make the best possible play. And if, if it does that, then it works. And if it doesn't do that, then it doesn't work. So the question I'm always sort of sitting with is, um, is the script useful for that group of creatives? Um, which was really satisfying watching the creatives at the Traverse because they're very good. Um, and so that both means that, that you can get away with some things like, you know, there's, there's weaknesses in that script that they covered over for me because they're great. Um, there were lines that were not very good that the actors just managed to make work by sheer charisma, um, which shouldn't, I shouldn't have got away with, but I did. Um, but then there's also beautiful things where they can really, if something is working, they can really take it and run with it. And you really see when the script is working, when a group of actors and director all kind of land on the same idea at the same moment and just go with it. And it's not something that you expected as a writer, um, but it, it clearly is the right thing. And it just is, it's so exciting seeing that. How much has the play changed since submitting? Blessed has changed immeasurably um, thanks to the open submissions process. In a way, the microscopic dramaturgy that was offered to me for this was, you know, one of the biggest gifts of the whole process because it, it really challenged what I thought the play was and where it could go and what it, what it, could be um, and the language and the rhythms of the play and and to without sounding too sentimental to hear it with Scottish voices 
with characters who are Scottish and the two to do that at the Traverse in Scotland was, you know, was pretty special for me as a writer. And I think the play has moved on in terms of, I think it, it feels like it, I don't know how to describe it in terms of uh, a, a play can, even though you can kind of see it can feel quite rigid and you think it's got all the elements and all the components, but they really need to be rigorously interrogated and enhanced and developed. But I think when it starts to feel like something that has, that's fluid, and that can move, then it feels like it's getting close to potentially being in a rehearsal room. And I think that's the difference. It wasn't in that place at the beginning. And I think at the end of it, it's it, it speaks much more to that place. Do you ever struggle with creative block? If so, how do you get over it? How I break through that creative block, um, I often, revert back to this idea of writing as a act of empathy or a process of empathy and leaning on empathy as sort of a tool for writing. Um, and just sort of asking myself questions about how it would feel to be a person doing this or doing that or um, thinking about other people's internal struggles, other people's internal worlds. Um, and then secondly, I also, to break through the creative block, think about what I would like to see on stage. Like, what am I gonna pay money for and pay um, the price of a ticket to go and see? Um, what would excite me? Um, and if it excites you, and if you have anything, any idea that excites you, um, I think you should just run with it um, because you're an audience member as well. Um, and if it interests you, then it's probably going to interest other people. There have been times in between plays when I've thought, oh my God, am I ever going to write another one? Will I ever have another idea? But then it's just uh, trusting in yourself and the sort of dreaming process. Um, and that, yeah, I think those times when I've thought, I don't think I'll ever have another idea. I've just I've gone to my cafe and I've sat and then I've just written anything like even if it's a list and every, I do a thing every morning I write I have what called the morning pages I write three sides and it doesn't matter what it is it can be a shopping list or just blah but I think it just helps get things moving and and knowing that no one's ever going to read it so it doesn't matter you don't have to be Chekhov straight away well you probably can't be um so I think it's a yeah just keep writing writing anything I have different approaches to when the writing process becomes a struggle. You either have to think, really kind of understand um, why there's a block. And so that means often, I think, taking time away from a play so you don't oversaturate yourself with it. Um, and on other occasions, you, you have to kind of, if it, if, if that process is biting you, you have to bite it back and um, uh, and and wrestle with it. So, uh, and I think it's always dependent on what the project is, but I always think a period of, of silence and meditative kind of time away from something that it feels like 
it has impossible barriers is is always really healthy and really useful um for me so and to think about it maybe listen to music that might be related to the play or read re, you know reinvigorate something so i'm reignited um and and to then see what happens but ultimately you've got to learn how to be kind to yourself as well in these processes is there a particular play or writer that's inspired your work i would say that it's dance nation by claire barron who's um a playwright based in New York, but it's inherently about um, people and teenagers and women and girls being competitive. And I think that sort of really just struck me as something that I'd never seen a play properly explore before. Um, uh, and it was really exciting as a play. It was incredibly theatrical. Um, it was about dance. Um, and I love plays that are that use sort of all elements of performance um, to build the story. Um, and I just had a really good plot and a really amazing sort of uh, example of world building and theatricality and pushing. I'm going to be greedy and say there are two plays <laughs> that I wish I'd written and they're Angels in America, parts one and two um, by Tony Kushner. Um, and I was thinking about this and thinking about there are many writers that I'm um, influenced by as well. But with with Angels in America, it, it's a play that sings in so many directions and it has takes such leaps of the imagination, moving from one world to another um, from imaginative realms to. Uh, realms of of struggle and pain and difficulty and then will take us into absolutely utter poetic moments of beauty out of pain and struggle and difficulty and it just it 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 just strikes me in terms of its ambition as something that is is just so extraordinary in terms of in reading it and in seeing it at the at the theatre it, it it's um and I, I, yeah, I, it, the way that it's able to bring worlds, different worlds together theatrically and its ambition that just appeals to me so much as a, as a playwright. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? She said, I think you're probably much better at this than you think you are. And again, that's to do with giving confidence um, because we're all so critical of ourselves in so many ways, aren't we? And um, I think there's just this thing of trusting in that you have something to say, even if it's tiny, it's still valid. Um, and thinking, yeah, I, I, I don't know, other people might value what I have to write, hopefully. We are all many, many, many more things than one feeling or one moment. I think that really sort of encompasses for me um, the process of writing or the process of being an audience member or, the, or what stories are. To write from my heart um, rather than from my head. So that's quite personal advice because I tended to write with my kind of pre-writer's head on before, but now I just purely write from my heart. And I think if you do write from your heart, um, you can never be de derailed because it's because the story, the idea, the characters are really truthful. So that's what I do.
right from your heart. What are you working on at the moment? I was due to put on a show called Break Into the Aquarium, uh, which was going to be premiered at Future Fest in London on uh, sometime in March. But just yesterday, I caught up with the designer who delivered over the set that she has made, um, and it's incredible. So uh, I'm now really excited about diving back in and doing some version of it for an online presentation. So it's a piece about the future of ecology, and it's about what Britain might look like um, in 50, 60, 70 years um, through the prism of basically a group of people gathering together to break into an aquarium, specifically the, the London Sea Life Aquarium, and stealing the fish. And, and that is the jumping off point for sort of how the future of the, of the UK's ecology is shaped. So it was a chance to kind of explore some of the really interesting movements that are happening in the world of, of biology, ecology, and rewilding at this point, and, and where those trajectories might take us in, in the future. I'm writing a piece called A Mother's Courage, um, and I've just been really fortunate to get funding from the um, Royal um, Society of Literature. And that is a verbatim inspired piece where I'm working with uh, mothers um, and mothers whose sons have experienced youth violent crime. Um, and I am giving those mothers um, a voice um, and allowing their truths to be told. So it's a really exciting project because I get to work with the mothers, uh, I get to workshop with them as well, I get to devise the piece and I get to show it at the end. So yeah, it's, um, it's brilliant. You can watch or listen to all available open submissions workshops at traverse.co.uk forward slash get hyphen involved for more information on and to support the Traverse's talent development work visit traverse.co.uk forward slash support us thank you for listening